Well, welcome to our service this morning. It, this uh, service kicks off our Christmas um, series, which I believe is called um, Good Tidings of Comfort and Joy. Along with that, one announcement is that we will be having our Christmas Eve service. Obviously, Christmas Eve, it'll be at 5 o'clock. It'll go from about 5 to 6 o'clock. And it's a great opportunity for um, us to invite neighbors, to invite friends, to invite people who don't know Jesus. And one way that you can invite them is through these invite cards. Um, you can get one at the table as you walk out. I would encourage you, think about somebody, one person you can invite. Um, I think it's a great opportunity. Just hand it to them. You can put it in an envelope and make it nice and pretty. Um, so I'd encourage you to do that on the way out if you haven't already done that. Well, it's officially the Christmas, Christmas season, I guess. Thanksgiving was like a week and a half ago. So we've, we were at a um, Christmas tree lighting this week with the kids and starting to kind of get in that, get those feelings of happiness and the Christmas season. Um, but along with the Christmas season um, comes a lot of cooking, a lot of time spent in the, in the kitchen, Correct. Am I right? I mean, I don't spend a lot, a lot of time. And with cooking, there's two types of cooks, right? There's the cook who um, just follows the recipe, like right down to like every last detail. Um, and then there's those cooks who get in there and like just throw it all together and it just comes out amazing. And sometimes it doesn't. I am the kind of cook that has to, I mean, I'm not really a cook, but if I'm in the kitchen, I'm following a recipe, okay? And I'm not talking about like a pumpkin pie recipe or a apple pie recipe. I'm talking about, I have to look at the back of the Kraft mac and cheese box to make sure I'm not like doing something wrong or I'm putting the cheese in at the right time, something like that. My wife, on the other hand, she's giving me a, a smirk right now, but my wife, on the other hand, gets into the kitchen and it's like, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and 10 minutes later, there's this amazing dish on the table. And I'm like, how'd you do that? I mean, it doesn't always turn out that way, but most of the time it does. My point is, is that I think we all can agree that whether you use a recipe or not, um, recipes can be helpful. They can be useful to at least get us going in the right direction. Um, and so recipes are, are a helpful tool. This morning in our passage, I believe Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wants to give us a recipe. And it's a recipe for peace in our lives. This recipe is just not any old recipe. It's amazing and wonderful and helpful. It's a perfect recipe for peace. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Philippians 4. 4 through 7. It's a very familiar passage. Very familiar passage to all of us, I would imagine. Philippians 4, 4 through 7. My goal this morning is for us all to gain a better understanding into this. That God's perfect peace comes to those who find joy in knowing God and to lay their anxiety down at the feet of Jesus through prayer and thanksgiving. Again, I'll say it again. God's perfect peace 
comes to those who find joy in knowing God and who lay their anxiety down at the feet of Jesus through prayer and thanksgiving. So let's go ahead. If you haven't, turn in your Bibles, Philippians 4, 4 through 7. This is the word of the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. All right, so a little background here, real quick. Paul's writing to the church in Philippi. What we can understand, the church in Philippi was doing pretty good. Um, Paul is writing to encourage them and to kind of fill them in on his life up to this, what's, what's going on in his life. It's kind of like a missionary letter. Letter. Paul's a missionary. He's writing to them, hey, this is what I've been doing. This is what the Lord's been doing in the gospel going forth. Paul is, Paul is in prison when he's writing this letter. So remember that. Paul is in prison as he writes the words that we just read. So Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Our first point this morning is that God's peace comes to those who find joy in knowing God. So this is an often misunderstood verse, I think. I can remember growing up, and I remember the song, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And there was just kind of like this feeling of, okay, I've just got to be happy. I've got to be, I've got to, like, I've got to rejoice. Um, it's kind of true, but it's not really like, not really true. This verse doesn't mean that we just need to be giddy all the time and, and, and God will just kind of meet us in our happiness. This verse doesn't mean that we're to rejoice in our circumstances. Paul here is calling us to look past our circumstances and look to God. He's looking us to, or he's telling us to look past our circumstances to a God who has overcome our worst circumstance, namely our sin through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he says, rejoice in the Lord. I'm not a grammar Nazi. I forget a lot about grammar. So don't ask me about grammar. But I do know that the subject of this, this, this statement is the Lord. Paul is calling us to rejoice in the Lord, okay? In order to be able to rejoice in the Lord, we must know who the Lord is. So think about it. Think about it for a minute. If you say the first time you met your spouse, what would happen if you met your spouse? I'll say it this way. What would happen if you met your spouse for the first time? You went on a 20-minute walk, decided during that walk to get married, and the next time you saw your spouse was on your wedding day a year later. Now, I'm not saying that that marriage wouldn't necessarily make work out. Maybe it would. I don't know. Probably not. But I, I can say that your actual wedding day would probably be a little awkward. 
there wouldn't be like the, the buildup and the joy and the emotion of, of having spent so many days together in the, in the year uh, leading up to this and getting to, know, getting to know your spouse, getting to know what they like, what they dislike, all these different things. It would just be really weird. It's the same with God. We can't, dis, uh, we can't expect to know him if we're not spending time getting to know him right? Isaiah 20, 26 verse 3 says, you keep in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. So there we have a picture of being focused on God, on who he is, and as we focus in him, as we focus on him, we have peace. We find joy. We have a promise that peace will come to those who focus those who know the Lord. Listen, church, I'm confident that, if, when, that we will find joy and amazement when we study the character of God, that our faith will be built up when we study the character of God. So this morning, I just want to take a minute to encourage you. I want to take a minute to cause joy in your hearts, to encourage your faith, in the God that we serve. And I'm, my prayer through this is that you will find peace as you look to God. We're just going to go through God's character, a little bit of God's character, okay? God is holy. He's separated from sin. He does not sin and cannot sin, and he is not tempted by sin. James 1 through. 1 verse 13 says, For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. There's nothing he cannot do. Psalm 147 verse 5 says, Great is the Lord and mighty in power. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere with his whole being at all times. Proverbs 15 verse 3 says, It says that the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. God is omniscient. He knows everything about everything. Hebrews verse, or chapter 4, verse 13 says, There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give it an account. God is eternal. He has no beginning and no end. He lives outside of time and sees all time periods the same. Psalm 90 verse 2 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or even you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Revelation chapter 1 verse 8 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is our God. This is, this is his character. This is who he is. This is who Paul's calling us to look to. This is who Paul's calling us to rejoice in. God is independent. He is self-sufficient. He needs absolutely nothing or no one. Acts 17, Acts chapter 17, verses 24 and 25 says, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. God is immutable. He's unchangeable. He doesn't change. Malachi 3.6 says, I am the Lord and I do not change. 
God is love. He's perfect love. It says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. This is a love that sent Jesus to be born to a virgin in a stable in a feed trough over 2,000 years ago and saves us from our sin. So when we focus on knowing God, our minds will be lifted off our circumstances to the one who controls our circumstances. When we begin to lift our focus and put, put off of our circumstances and put our trust in God, in, in God's character, we will be encouraged and lifted up and ultimately begin to find peace in our souls as we look to him. Again, peace comes to those who find joy in knowing God. Peace comes to those who find joy in knowing God. The next verse, Paul kind of shifts gears a little bit. It says, let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Again, he kind of shifts gears, and he, he, he's, he, he's encouraging the church in Philippi to be reasonable to those around them. As they interact on a week-to-week basis, he's encouraging them to be kind to the, the, members, the members in the church in Philippi and those outside of the church. He's encouraging them to be a light to those around them. It's a cornerstone of any good Christian community. But then notice he, he makes a promise. He gives this command, let your reasonableness be made known to everyone, for the Lord is at hand. So there's, there's two meanings here that I want you to get. When Paul says the Lord is at hand, there's, there's, a, there's the understanding that the Lord is here right now. He is near. But there's also an eschatological um, understanding that he is coming. And he will come back. He will make all things new. So be reasonable, be kind, because the Lord is here right now. He's with us. What does he say right after this? Right after this. He says, do not be anxious about anything. So he gives this challenge to them to be reasonable, to be kind to those around them. He gives a promise of God's nearness. And he says, with that in mind, do not be anxious about anything. This leads us to our second point. God's peace comes to those who lay their anxiety at the feet of Jesus through prayer and thanksgiving. God's peace comes to those who lay their anxiety at the feet of Jesus through prayer and thanksgiving. Now I know when we get to the topic of anxiety, it's a very real, um, real issue that we deal with. A very real issue that we deal with. So I'm sure some of you are kind of nodding and, and, and like, okay, I've heard this before. Don't be anxious. Cool. And you're thinking to yourself, but you, Paul, you just, you don't understand what I'm up against. You haven't, 
You haven't read the medical reports. You haven't seen the way my spouse treats me. You haven't seen the way my kids treat me. You're not inside my head. Paul, it's like, it's impossible for me to not be anxious. Anxiety is real. I read recently that over 40 million Americans struggle with some sort of anxiety disorder. And I'm sure that a global pandemic and racial tensions and political tensions have just compounded those numbers. Paul's not saying here, hey, don't be anxious because if you do, you're going right to hell. He's saying, when you're anxious, don't stay there. There's a fix for it. So Paul says, don't be anxious, and he tells us, he gives us a fix. He tells us how to not be anxious. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So I think oftentimes we jump right to like, let your requests be made known to God, and we forget there's some things before that. Paul says, in, in everything, in prayer and thanksgiving, don't just rush to make your requests known to God. Don't just rush to dump everything on God. First, give thanks to God. Worship God. Adore God. This is the command that we have here. This is the challenge we have here. This is the encouragement that we have here. When you're anxious, Give thanks. Thank God for his character, for who he is. Thank him for preserving your life up to this point. Thank him for providing your needs of water and food and a roof over your head. That's simple. You don't have to like state this amazing theological understanding that you have. God, thanks. Thank you that I'm alive. Worship him. Adore him. Gordon Fee says this about Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a recognition that everything comes as a gift. The verbalization, or the verbalization before God of his goodness and generosity. So it's after this prayer in worship and thanksgiving that Paul says, make your requests be made known. Let your requests be made known to God. Fee, Fee continues and he says, in so doing, in making your requests known, one acknowledges utter dependence on God while at the same time expressing complete trust in him. So what we're saying, we're not just saying, hey God, I need some help. I need some help. Can you please help me? We're, we're reminding ourselves, I would not be here if it was not for the grace of God. I would not, I would not be able to, to, to keep going in this world if it wasn't for God's grace allowing me to. It's acknowledging our dependence on God 
and expressing complete trust in him. So when we lay our burdens, depression, and anxiety at the foot of Jesus, we the feet of Jesus, we acknowledge that we are de totally dependent on him. And that, my friends, is where we should all long to be. Dependent on a perfect God, a powerful God, a God whose character is unmatched. So when you're tempted to give into anxiety and depression, remember that there's a Jesus who died for your anxiety and your depression. There's a God, the Father, who cares about it, and he will never let you go. As it says in Matthew 6.30, he cares, the Father cares about every little bird, every little flower, every little living organism, and he cares about you oh so much more. So we are called to lay our anxiety and worries at the feet of Jesus through prayer and thanksgiving. And what happens? What happens when we do that? What does it say next? God does something. When we acknowledge we are dependent on him, he gives us peace. It says the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. So when we give thanks to God for what he's done and we make our requests known to him, we receive one of the greatest promises given in all of scripture, I think. God's peace is beyond our understanding. We really can't fully wrap our mind around God's peace. It doesn't make sense to an unbelieving world, this, this idea of God's peace. It doesn't make sense. It's a peace that allows you to walk through the valley of the shadow of death with hope. And death doesn't make sense to a dying world. It allows you to walk through a pandemic with peace that God's still in control of things. Again, God's peace transcends human comprehension. And what does it say? It surpasses all understanding and it will guard your hearts. God's peace will guard and protect us. Now remember, Paul here is, um, he's in prison. Um, and he's being guarded in prison by a garrison of, of soldiers a group of soldiers. So Paul gives this picture of guarding, of being protected by a group of soldiers, a garrison of soldiers surrounding a person and not allowing any harm to come to them, to that person. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this about the peace of God guarding us. It conjures up a picture. What will happen is that this peace of God will walk around the ramparts and towers of our life. We are inside, and the activities of the heart and mind are producing those stresses and anxieties and strains from the outside. But the peace of God, 
will keep them all out and we ourselves inside will be at peace, at perfect peace. This is the same peace that, that kept the lions from de- devouring Daniel when he was in the lion's den. It will keep you. The peace of God will keep you. It will guard you. It will be like a group of the most well-armored, well-trained soldiers surrounding you. But Paul doesn't say that, or doesn't stop there. God's peace is beyond our understanding. It will guard us. It will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. It will guard you in Christ Jesus. So Paul ends this section with the reminder that God's peace comes to us in Christ Jesus. What did Christ do for us? How are we guarded by Christ Jesus? We were enemies, and he reconciled us to God through his death. And we shall be saved by his life, as it says in Romans 5, verse 10. We said it earlier, but God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We will be saved Christ has given us eternal life. Romans 8 verse 32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Christ will guard us by giving us what we need. Romans 8, 38 through 39, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He protects us. So how does this peace work? How does this peace of God work? It works through the finished work of Christ. The finished work of Christ. Again, Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, If God has done the supreme thing for us in the death of his son upon the cross, he cannot forsake us now. He cannot leave us halfway, as it were. So the peace of God that passes all understanding keeps our hearts and our minds through or in Christ Jesus. In that way, God guarantees our peace and our freedom from anxiety. God guarantees our peace and our freedom from anxiety. So again, I'm going to keep pounding on this. Look, look to God. Look to his character. Be reminded every day of the God that you serve, of the one who is on the throne, of his attributes, of who he is, of what he's done by sending Jesus to die on a cross. Give thanks to him for that. Let's be a people that... Stay in an attitude of thanksgiving. And I'm confident we're told in Scripture, we're given the promise that when we do this, there will be peace. So with that said, 
I'd like to just take a minute, shift gears a little bit. I just want to share with you all um, a brief testimony from my own life over the last 10 months. Um, it's a little out of the ordinary, but I want to share with you how I have experienced this passage in my own life. And I really, I, I believe that it will be helpful and an encouragement to you. So around 4 a.m. in the morning of February 13th, I got out of bed and collapsed on the floor. I had experienced a cardiac arrest, or what they call a, a sudden cardiac death. I lay motionless on the floor for seven minutes, while my wife, who was at the time six, month preg six months pregnant, administered CPR for those si seven minutes, at which point um, the e EMS arrived and were able to shock me back to life. So I was in a, a medically induced coma for three days, three days afterwards, and doctors were unsure if I would come out of the coma or what my quality of life would be like if I actually, if I actually came out. We found out afterwards that only 6% of people who experience a sudden cardiac arrest outside of hospital actually live. And I'm sure of those 6% who live, many experience physical setbacks um, throughout their lives. So church, I haven't shared this with anybody like publicly, um, but I can honestly say it's only, it's only by the miraculous grace of God that I'm standing here today. In the days and weeks and months that have passed since that time, there's been a lot of questions that I've had. There's been an opportunity for a lot of anxiety and fear. Questions like, why in the world did this happen? How can this just happen? What if this happens again? Why did I live when others didn't live? Like, like I said, there's been a lot of opportunities for anxiety and at times fear. But in that, over the last 10 months, there have been another number, a number of things that have become crystal clear to me. Number one, I serve a God who is omnipotent. He is all-powerful, and it was his power that kept me alive. I serve a God who is omnipresent. He's everywhere with his whole being at all times. And I know that he was there in that room in that morning of February 13th with his whole being in a big way. I serve a God who is omniscient. He knows all things. Isaiah 55 verse 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So though, though it's really hard, and my mind struggles at times to comprehend why this would happen, I cling to the fact that I just don't understand right now. And that's okay. My mind isn't God's mind. I'm limited. One day I will know. One day we will all know why these things happen. In the meantime, when the anxiety comes and the fear invades my being, I have learned more than ever before to run to Jesus, 
to focus my mind and heart on the great God that I serve, the ones whose, whose character is unmatched. I give thanks to the one who preserved my life. I give thanks every morning that I wake up and get to be with my wife and kids, and I find peace in that. I give thanks when I walk outside and get to experience God's creation. And you know what? I lay the rest at the feet of Jesus. The same Jesus who was born to a virgin in a shack and was laid in a feed trough 2,000 years ago. The same Jesus who walked this earth both fully God and fully human, dealing with the same temptations that we face. The same Jesus who laid his life down on a cross as a ransom and sacrifice for the souls, the souls of many. The same Jesus who says, whoever believes in me shall not perish, but find eternal life. The same Jesus who offers peace that passes understanding for all who believe in him. So in closing, living hope, there is peace to be had this Christmas season and in every season. Peace as we find joy in knowing God. Peace as we lay our burdens down with the spirit of worship, thanksgiving, in prayer, and peace that will protect us from harm in Christ Jesus. Let there be peace. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for all you are and all you've done. Lord, I pray that we'll be reminded constantly, we'll focus our attention on you. Lord, in a world that is just so confusing and so chaotic, may you bring your peace, God's peace, that is perfect, that is real, that is attainable. Bring your peace to us into the world around us as they hear the good news of Jesus in the light that Jesus brings in the darkness. In Jesus' name, amen.